This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, welcome to the Portland Real Estate Podcast. This is lucky episode number 13. I'm Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company, your host, and I'm here with my co-host in our virtual studio, Steve Nassar. What is happening, Steve-o? Hey, Tucker. Not a whole lot. Just getting things rolling here at work. Glad to be back on the show. Yeah, we got kind of an update episode this week. We're going to kind of talk about the market. And I think that we kind of shared some thoughts ahead of the show here on what we think is going on out there. And fortunately, we agree. So we'll dive into it a little deeper. But we'll talk about the market action report that came out, kind of what we're seeing out there in the trenches, both in terms of Steve's listings and then also a project that we put on the market over the course of the past week or so. And then we'll dive into a few headlines. We got a realtor that's been crucified lately in news, and we'll see what the legal department decides to do with him. But I I figured it'd be worth talking about his headline, and then I wanted to do a little update on the demolition tax from our lovely mayor, Charlie Hale, and also a story from last week of some nincompoop that decided to get on the roof of a house on 34th and Hawthorne to, you know, try and prevent it from being dosed. So a whole bunch of fun stuff to talk about for sure, but let's kick off the market action report update, Steve. What, what do you think of this new report, and how do you think it plays out in terms of the actual market? Well, Tucker, the market is a little bit slower I think we can all agree on that. I mean, I don't think it's a dramatic, you know, oh my gosh, it's 2008, slow down, but it's a bit of a seasonal one. And look, the reality is markets don't move in straight lines, right? You don't have exactly the same thing one month after the next after the next. And whenever a market moves in one direction or another, there is always a winner and there's always a loser. And let me be clear again about exactly what I'm saying there. Buyers either win or sellers win, right? And for most realtors, if your business is built right, you can adjust and adapt with that and you can encourage and work with the other side a little bit more diligently. So in my opinion, right now, I think in the recent past, we've seen the pendulum swing a little bit more towards the middle and towards buyers. We have put a lot of transactions in escrow. Far more of them are buyers right now than they are sellers. Many of those buyers are finding houses that probably a few months back would have had multiple offers and they didn't. We have a great house in Tualatin that I personally went to over the weekend and previewed and wrote up an offer on it. It was an uncontested offer. It'd been on the market for, gosh, I think it was 30 days. Great, great house, great custom home in about that 430 price point in Tualatin. And that's just something I think is a gift in this market for buyers. On the selling side, we're seeing things a little bit quieter. I have some listings that need to be completely honest. They just need to lower their price. And we're, you know, broaching those conversations as we can and when we can. But it's something we've talked about on the show here in the past. When a market is hot and it builds on itself and every seller looks at their neighbor and sees what they sold for and they look at the data and they see that things are going up. So they want to go higher. And then the next neighbor wants to go higher and the next neighbor wants to go higher. Well, it's musical chairs. And at some point, the music has to stop and the prices just can't unsustainably go higher. And I think we're seeing a little bit of the residual of that. And so this report is showing a little bit of that. Now, I don't mean it to be doom and gloom by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, we're still having some great months. And in fact, 
just yesterday, we saw that the U.S. home builders' confidence hit its highest level in 10 years. And, and a lot of things are correlating to almost exactly 10 years ago. I mean, in, in this report, we're seeing here that we had the best September since 2005. Well, in August, we had the best August since 2005. Now, in July, we had the best July ever. So we came a little bit down from that. But the numbers are way better than 2014. And that's just been across the board for the year. I do think we're seeing a little bit of a shift towards buyers. And I think that's a good thing for buyers. And I think they need to capitalize on that. I think it's important for us as real estate professionals to educate our clients that smart money wants to always be doing the opposite of what the masses are doing. So I know that sounds simple and sounds easy, but it's so darn hard for people to do. An extreme example would, of that would be in 2009, 2010, right? Nobody wanted to buy a house. They were scared to death. They didn't know where prices were going. And you would have those conversations with them, and that was just the reality in their world. Well, flash forward to 2015, and everybody's buying houses, and that's when everyone wants to jump in. And they're all saying, well, we want to get a good deal. Well, you should have bought in 2010, because that's when no one was buying, and that's when you could get the good deals. Now that everyone's buying, that's when you're not going to get a good deal. That's an extreme example. But when you have small peaks and valleys in a, in a market where suddenly things are a little bit quieter, that's when you just got to move on your buyers. And you got to push them and say, look, this is why now is the time to buy. A, you're going to get the house you want or you have a far better chance of it because of less competition. B, you might actually get a pretty good deal on it. Even though in this market, oftentimes just getting the house you want is the good deal. What do you think, Tucker? You know, I think you make a lot of great points. I'm very impressed with the way you kind of classified your own business and kind of shifting from buyer services to seller services, depending on which way the market goes to kind of keep business cranking. And I think that's a really, uh, I'd never thought of a real estate business that way, but I got to give you props for that. So Harder to do that on the building side, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot harder, but very cool idea. I, I like it. But, you know, I'll kind of equate this year. It seems like, you remember back in 2013, as we left the summer months, there was a, a noticeable drop-off. There was a disparity between demand in October, November in 2013 versus June, July, August. There was a pretty big disparity there. Last year in 2014, not so much. It stayed pretty consistent. It didn't feel like there was a fall off. Felt like there was a fall off in years prior to 2013 as well. But last year was kind of an anomaly in the sense that it stayed strong even through out of the summer months into the holiday slowdown. There was no holiday slowdown for the most part. This year, I think that that disparity is real. I think it's back. You know, we just put a property on the market, not in the absolute best part of town by any means. It's in a decent area of southeast Portland. But I think the difference between what we got for it now, we just went pending day before yesterday. But had we put that property on the market in July, I think there was probably a $30,000 difference for what we got then versus now. You know, I priced it based on comps that sold in June, July, August. And that's just not a reality to sell it in any sort of a timely manner right now. So, you know, fortunately, I would be one of those dream clients, Steve, that I'm okay reducing the price. Let's just get <laughs> it moved. Let's get it sold. Some people aren't that easy, but I've got a longer term approach and it's just one of many projects. So, you know, we obviously turn our money over. It's not our one property that we own. You know, it's been interesting to see that, though. And, you know, the people, like you mentioned, buyers getting a deal. People buying this house are getting a screaming deal. I mean, this is a triple lot. We could have kept it, you know, scraped the house, built three smaller houses on the lot. But it's just not our area. It's not our niche. And really, I thought that the product that's on there is a great little ranch. It's got a pole barn. It's a great product for what it is. And the buyer that's buying it is getting a hell of a deal. And, and they'll be thankful that they bought right now in a couple, two or three years down the road when they either want to resell it or they could develop it themselves, you know, down the line if they wanted to. They so, might even be happy that they bought it in March. I mean, yeah, that soon. Totally agree. I mean, they should, they'll be happy day one. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a great property and what, for what they're getting, they're getting a screaming deal. But my point is, is that 
that house probably would have had multiple offers for 30 grand more than we're selling it for right now if we were in July. And so that goes to your point about, you know, people being able to find a great house, you know, with limited competition, just like the one you wrote an offer on over the weekend in Tualatin, Mm -hmm. which, you know, that's a really good thing. Now, in looking at the actual market action report compared to the comments that we've been making, market action report came out, said that we have 1.9 months of inventory which is the same for August as for September. Now, of course, that's a lagging indicator of really what the previous month's inventory is, not currently. And so, you know, I think that that doesn't reflect the slowdown that maybe we've felt. I think that as we go forward and next month's report comes out and it shows us what our inventory looks like right now, I think that number is going to be higher. I think that we're going to be up in the probably mid twos is my guess. I feel that there's been a lot of stuff that's come on the market. Not a lot of it has gone pending quickly. And so, like you said, there's some adjustments that are starting to be made. I know there's an area of Lake Oswego. I'm not going to name it specifically because I don't want to be responsible for anybody's misfortune or lack of profit. But there's an area that we quit buying in. We put the brakes on about six or eight months ago and we just decided to bow out. We said, you know what? People are paying too much for lots and the builders that bought in there were penciling projects based on a price of probably about 1.1 million or so for the end product. I personally felt like the ceiling for the area is 995. That's what that area sells for. Well, here we are six, eight months later, and one of the builders that bought in there has a large number of properties on the market, none of which are pending in a very, very hot area. And it's all because the market has kind of said, you know what, that 1.1 price, it's too much. And so that's why all those houses are sitting right now. They'll probably gradually come down to under that million point, and I'm sure they'll all sell at that point. But, you know, I think people got a little over the handlebars. You know, one person adds on to the next and adds on to the next. And that happens both in terms of retail product, like people that you list for. But it also happens to people that are selling houses that need to be torn down, right? They hear that, you know, Johnny around the corner got 425. Well, he got 425. I, we should put 10% on that and sell ours for, you know, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just happens over and over and over again until the market just can't sustain it anymore. So I think we're seeing a little bit of a give back. The music has stopped in certain areas. As it should, though, because it can't continue to build on itself over and over and over again. And I think that this little lull in time here will be a good little correction point as we head into next year. Like I said, I'm not talking doom and gloom at all, but I think that the music needs to slow down for people to say, okay, we need to be realistic, because then that makes your job easier as an agent, too. You know, you're not going in fighting a battle with people saying, whoa, 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 just because they sold for 430 next door doesn't mean that we need to put it on for 479, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's good so, for all, all of us. Yeah, I think so. So I I guess bottom line is I think that, you know, that disparity between peak pricing and now is real. I think that we've definitely started to hit the holiday slowdown or the fall winter slowdown a little bit in terms of number of buyers out there. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how many people reduce down to that point of where it really should sell at right now during the season or how many of them decide to pull the listing or just leave it and let it get stale. We'll see, I guess. But that's your job because you're an agent dealing with that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's just such a tremendous opportunity for us agents to call those buyers who were frustrated six months ago and say, hey, look again. Let's get you back out there. Here's what's going on. We are finding properties with uncontested offers and be proactive in that regards. And that's how you can really, you know, propel your business is to see those little pockets where things change a little bit and pounce on them. There's a lot of buyers that would love that phone call. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. And, it, you know, it was like battle axe crazy this summer, too. So there was a lot of people that got, you know, kind of put off by the whole process. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you probably wrote offers for a lot of people that didn't like the fact that they were one of eight offers that they had to deal with escalation clauses and all kinds of other things. Now, 
it's like a totally different game, right? You see a good property, it's priced well, you come in, you're not one of eight offers. You might be one of two or the only offer right now, you know, depending on how long it's been on the market or and what the price is. But, you know, that makes it a much easier process for the buyer and it, you know, it makes it a lot easier process for you to manage as well. Mm -hmm. Couple interesting statistics in looking through the data on page two of the market action report. Did you notice that pending sale 2015 versus 2014 Gresham Troutdale was up 45% and Milwaukee Clackamas up 34%. Those were just some big numbers. Those Would you attribute any of the Milwaukee thing to the light rail? I issue? would. I would, okay. absolutely. Yeah. The Gresham Troutdale thing, I don't know I don't know how to explain that one other than perhaps pricing. Yeah. I mean it's relatively affordable yeah. comparatively to a lot of other areas, yeah. which that definitely plays a factor. You know, one thing that's interesting too on the first page though, and I kind of look at this, you know, to see where our inflection point in the market is. It says pending sales were down 11.2% month over month, which basically, you know, if that's not an obvious pumping the brakes a little bit, I don't know what else is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's as far as statistic go. But, you know, I just want to reiterate, I definitely don't see this as doom and gloom. I mean, you said the Builder Consumer Confidence Index or whatever it was is as high as it's been. And, you know, we're a builder, so obviously I feel confidence is high. We've got a pretty big pipeline of stuff coming up. I just think that it's a normal ebb and flow of the year as you head out of the summer into the fall and into the winter. It slows down. And historically, we've never listed anything for sale past about the second week of October because we always knew we were going to take a decent dollar figure hit in different sales price than if we held out and we just waited till sometime in mid-January, listed it, and then went then. There's just less buyers. And if there's less buyers, that price has to be more attractive in order to entice people to deal with the purchase of a home over the holiday season and whatnot. And so... It's a normal thing. I don't want people to think that it's doom and gloom. But last year was kind of an anomaly because the market was so ridiculous that it just kind of held strong even through kind of a normal up and down that a market normally has. Yeah. Another interesting thing here is that as of this report, any which way in which you measure it, any metric, the average sales price in Portland is now over 300000 You know, there's two different ways they do that. They do the average sales price. And then they do the median sales price, okay? On average sales price, that's where you add them all up and divide by the number that you added up. Median is where you kind of line them all up and you just take the one in the middle. There are two different right. ways of figuring out an average. Previously, the average sales price had been 333000 Now it's 352 Median had been 285 Now it's 305 So this is the first one since probably 2005, 2006, somewhere in there, we probably got over 300,000 would be my guess. I don't have that information in front of me. So you can absolutely say now unequivocally that the average home in Portland, any which way you measure it, is 300,000. Yeah, and that's a big piece of data. You know, it'd be interesting to see what other major metros are at that point or higher and which ones are lower, just as a comparative. And, and it's something pull. that we've we've experienced in our business. You know, two years ago... Somebody would call you and they'd say, I'm qualified for 250 on a detached house. And you'd go, okay, you know, we know the areas you can buy that in and we know the ones you can't. That's just a tough, tough price point, especially West Side Portland to be at 250 now. And clearly this data is supporting that. To even have a fighting chance to get a detached house, you got to be over 300. Yeah, it's <laughs> somebody calls you up and says that they, uh, they're they looking to buy a house, they need you to represent them and they've got a budget. They're pre-approved up to 230 and they need a garage and a single family. Yeah, I don't know. That might be a tough. You might say, uh, you know, Gresham might be the place to go. <laughs> that's when you refer it out. <laughs> yeah, that's when you refer it out, right? You post on Masters for a good agent in Gresham, yeah. right? Yeah. 
<laughs> so, okay. Well, uh, you know, I think bottom line is that we are experiencing the seasonal slowdown. Things are still going pending. The house that we put on the market, it's slower, but it went pending. The buyers are getting a great deal. They're getting a great house. We're still selling it. But there is a difference between what I think we would have got a few months ago and now. But there's still buyers out there that are looking. And, and it's good for buyers. And, you know, hopefully sellers will, you know, readjust their expectations or at least let their expectations come in line with what the market really will bear. And that way, you know, we can kind of move forward with a little solider footing under us heading into next year and not such hopeful numbers that people tend to, you know, build on continuously when they see the neighbors sell. Yeah, and I fully expect we'll move right back into a strong seller's market again. It will probably be around February. I, I've noticed for the last few years here that right after, I mean, it almost is like timed perfectly with Super Bowl. Like right after Super Bowl Sunday, you know, the sun starts coming out, things start thawing. There's this brief window that I've noticed from about February to April where it seems like the buyers come out in full force, but the listings have not. Because those listings, they're kind of thinking spring, 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 but they're not realizing that a lot of buyers are starting to come out in February. So there's this like little tiny window of opportunity, I think, when it's almost one of the best times to list in the year between February and April. That's just been my experience. Yeah, well, you you know, as a person owning a home, you know, most people don't want to sell their home while the kids are in school and they don't want to buy homes necessarily when the kids are in school. And so that you're right, that's that time of year where it's kind of good for both. And, you know, we'll see. I tend to agree with you. I think that usually the gas pedal doesn't get hit again until we get firmly into January or early February. And again, I'm not saying that there's not a ton of buyers out in April, May, and June. What I am saying is there's also a lot of new listings out in April, May, and June. Whereas February and March, seems like those buyers are coming out, but the listings aren't. It's just that little tiny shift in things. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll wrap up the market action segment here. But bottom line is that if you're a buyer and you got disgruntled over the summer dealing with 85 offers on everything that you went to look at, you know, give Steve a call because <laughs> right now is a good time. That would be the case. Well, hey, I want to shift gears here real quick and kind of talk about a few headlines. I know that this isn't the best of Masters segment that we did before, but there was an article that was out and not just on Masters, but it also circulated on there. And it was about an individual. I'm, I'm not going to name his name, but I actually bought the lot that I built my own personal residence on from the guy. So I do know him. You know, I wouldn't say that we're buddies, but I know of him and I've done business with him. And the article that came out was in regards to asbestos. And we've talked about asbestos before on the show and this particular individual had gotten in trouble for not properly abating some asbestos in a home that he was renovating in Portland. And at this point, I think, Steve, you've got the specs up on it. The Department of Justice, I think, was brought in on it. And the possibility of throwing the book at him is is there. I don't think it will happen. But it was something ridiculous, like, what, two years in jail and up to 25 grand in fines? Is that what it was? Yeah, I think so. I'm looking for it here, and I don't see those exact figures. But that seems about right. And to me, it just seems pretty hardcore to imagine jail time for this. I don't know as much about the subject as you do. I think it's a huge hot button right now. I think it's definitely on the Oregonians radar. And I think they're trying to make some examples of it, which is unfortunate for this realtor slash rehabber. Clearly, he made some missteps. And clearly, if he could go back in the way back machine, his <laughs> DeLorean, back, it, it if you will, future day, right? I, I think he would change things. Should he go to jail? Probably not. I think most people will agree with that. And even if he doesn't go to jail, I mean, this is going to be hard on the guy's business and personal life. So, you know, I can't speak definitively. I don't know him. I don't know his intentions. I don't know much beyond that. But 
there's definitely a lot of hype and a lot of people going after this asbestos, and it's it's a really hot topic. Yeah, it is, and it you know we've talked about it on the show before. I felt like the Oregonian's writer was a little bit reckless in how he wrote the initial article on asbestos and teardowns, and because of that, now you know it's just kind of building on itself. And you know the big thing here is that. He demoed a home, and it was an older home here in Portland, and virtually every home in Portland that's older has asbestos in it somewhere. And so that's just something that people need to understand. The problem is, is when you disturb it, you could potentially get those particles in the air, and it's when you breathe those that it can cause issue. And so... What he did is he, from what I read anyway, I haven't talked to him personally, but this is just in the article. What he did is he hired temp labor to demo the interior of the home. And it turns out that there was asbestos on some old ducting as well as on old floor tiles, like the uh, stick-on type floor tiles that usually you'll find in your basement, right? In an older home or, you know, something like that. Well, the question that the article didn't really address is, was he pulling out the old ducting or was he going to continue to use it? And was he really taking up those old floor tiles? Usually you can just go right over the top of them. So if they pulled up linoleum that went over the top of these old asbestos floor tiles and then the old asbestos floor tiles were exposed, but they weren't pulled up, well, then he really didn't do anything wrong. You know, we've done a ton of homes over the years, and only recently and now does anybody even know that there's asbestos on some of the old tape that's around some of the old ductwork in homes. I mean, there's been tons of old ducts that have been pulled out of homes previously that didn't go through the asbestos remediation process. Now, you know, we do it. We hire an asbestos remediation company to go in and test all the homes that we tear down and also the ones that we do any renovation to. But, you know, this was a year ago or so. You know, asbestos wasn't huge on everybody's radar then, nearly as much as it is now. And so I think that you know, this guy's probably getting thrown to the wolves. There was a lot of people that said a lot of nasty things about him, you know, online and just saying that he's cutting corners and this and that. But I don't know that, you know, maybe his intention was, but for what was missed or not abated per the article, I don't think you should really be throwing this guy to the wolves. I mean, if it was just those asbestos floor tiles and some ductwork, I mean, come on, that's a little ridiculous. And I think that the media is really kind of throwing gasoline on this guy and then providing the match as well that really is not warranted, in my opinion. Yeah, one of the things they said here was he'd hired licensed asbestos removal contractors on a previous project to take out asbestos-containing pipe insulation. So they're basically saying he, he should have known better. Yeah, but again, was he removing that ductwork? It doesn't say. And the asbestos four tiles, you don't necessarily have to remove those. You can leave them and you can go over the top. So was he pulling those out? Or if the guys did, did he tell them to? You know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But, you know, bottom line is it wasn't like, and I know somebody that's done this, it wasn't like somebody knocked down a house that had asbestos siding and it was the kind of siding that you need to, you know, have an abatement company removed before you knock it down and now you've got asbestos throughout the air from knocking down the home. We're talking about asbestos sticky four tiles and some ducks. You may or may not know this, that, you know, there's asbestos in a lot of the popcorn ceiling you see in houses. That has asbestos in it. So if your kid's running around with a broom and they whack the ceiling, Guess what? You've probably got as much asbestos floating around in your house as this guy caused from removing a duct or two. So Yeah, and you know, another interesting thing is when stories like this come out, the media has a tendency to vilify capitalism or the making of a profit. They kind of like to put it in there because they know that people get angry about it. They're like and it works because it, it says here property records show Gaffney sold Sold the house for 675000 well, That's 325000 more than he paid for it one month before the remodel. So they're building on emotions like, hey, this guy made so much money and all this. So there's just a tendency to vilify the profiting of it. And look, 
I can't say definitively what he did and what he didn't do, but I do know if they're trying to get people aware of this, gosh, they're doing it the right way. I have to imagine that most people out there that are rehabbing these homes now are being pretty, pretty careful. Yeah, you know, I guess my biggest issue with it is that it puts people like me on high alert because now we have crazy people that, and there are crazy people that live next door to a lot of the projects we do. We can't pick our neighbors. And they think that they've been exposed to asbestos and they're mother-in-law, brother-in-law, sister-in-law is an attorney who's equally retarded in terms of knowing what, you know, actually contains asbestos or how the process works, but they want to cause you issue because you're the big bad capitalist, right, Steve? Yeah. And so, you know, there's nothing to say that they can't cause you, you know, heartache, headache, and cost to defend yourself against frivolousness. And we've had to do that in the past. And so I just think that the articles are not helping those of us that are really out there just trying to do a good job and do things properly with having to deal with these nut jobs of the world. And there are a lot of them out there. And, you know, at the end of the day, the process is, is that if you have a house before you do any major remodeling or knocking down, you just have your asbestos contractor go through, they identify it, they test it, and then they come out and they remove the asbestos stuff that tested positive for a high enough level of asbestos that it needs to be removed. And then you can do whatever you want. But, you know, that's behind the scenes stuff and a lot of people don't see it. So they just see a remodel going on and they're thinking, oh, my God, I'm being exposed to asbestos. And so I need to call an attorney immediately. And then we get to deal with that. Anyway, that's my rant on that. We'll shift gears a little bit. We'll leave Mr. Asbestos alone. Hopefully the <laughs> Department of Justice doesn't fry him for that and, you know, everybody kind of chills out. But next up, I want to talk about our lovely mayor's demolition tax. There was an article in the Daily Journal of Commerce, and we've talked about this before, but I thought I'd just bring it up because the CEO of the Oregon Home Builders Association, John Chandler, actually agreed with my assessment of this ridiculous tax. And he told the DJC that he thought it was grandstanding and a cheap political stunt by our mayor. And I have to totally agree with that because there's absolutely no good reason for this tax to be imposed. And there's just so much gray area in how they can impose it. It just doesn't make any sense. And so it also appears from the article that if they do try and continue forward with this, the Home Builders Association will likely facilitate legal action towards the city to basically try and nullify them trying to institute that tax because they say that there's verbiage in... Anyway, there's verbiage that basically states that the city cannot create taxes like this for a variety of reasons. So hopefully this doesn't take hold. I figured the Home Builders Association and, you know, its constituency would put up a pretty big fight against such a ridiculous idea. And it appears that they are. So I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, that was positive news. I think it was a resounding voice across our industry saying this is not good for real estate at all in Portland. Yeah. And to parlay on that, Infill is a hot topic, right, Steve? I mean, people are usually on one side or the other of the issue, and they're either, you know, they understand that it happens, it's the changing of the guard. You know, there's real estate, there's always change, right? There's areas that are gentrifying, becoming better, and with that, there's usually some infill redevelopment that occurs. And over the course of this last week, there was some infill redevelopment happening on 34th and Hawthorne, and there was some nincompoop that decided to trespass, get on the roof of this house, and from the looks of it, it looked like a flop house that hadn't had any work work done to it in better part of the last four or five decades. And it was sitting right on 34th and Hawthorne. And for any of you guys that have been on 34th and Hawthorne, it's not a place for single family homes. It's commercial. It's multifamily. It's not your residential type neighborhood place. And so the owners of that property, I don't know who they are, but they were going to tear down the, the old flop house looking structure and they're going to build a multiplex on there, which makes sense, right? For the area. It's not like you're doing it in the middle of a residential neighborhood that's all single family homes. 
But I think that this idea that is perpetuated through the media that says it's okay for you to tell people what they can and can't do with their property. And if they don't listen, then you can go trespass and you can make a stink and the news will make you out to be a hero. I just, I think this has got to stop. I think the line has to be drawn. I think that there's places to disagree with redevelopment, but I think that tearing down a flop house on 34th and Hawthorne is not that place. And I just feel like somebody needs to take a stand in the leadership to say, look, let's get our heads screwed on straight here and understand that some stuff needs to be taken down and the land needs to be better used or better utilized. You know, what's your take, Steve? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Have you seen the pictures of this guy? Yeah, I did. He's a a colorful (laughs) character, isn't he? Yeah, I'm looking at the article here. So, I mean, he climbed on the, the house, he defied the police, which, I mean, that, that in of itself, I mean, there's a message there. I mean, if it's okay to defy the police because you feel this house shouldn't be torn down, I mean, can you defy them if you want to rob a bank? I mean, what, what there's got to be some common sense here, people. I mean, this is privately owned property. This wasn't some state, you know, it'd be different if this was a government building. And he felt like, hey, the taxpayers own this, and I'm one of them, even though I don't think this guy's ever paid taxes in his life. <laughs> but the uh, the fact of the matter is, it's one of those only in Portland stories. I mean, we've got plenty of them. They're out there. I mean, from the people that are hanging from bridges trying to stop ships to, which is even more justifiable in some regards because that was a public bridge. And their agenda, I'm in no way condoning it. I have no opinions whatsoever on it. But I mean, there's arguments to why that is more of a a staged event. Like you said, this is just some guy's property. And the guy was nice enough that he didn't even press charges. He actually opted not to prosecute and press charges against the guy. So good for him. But yeah, I agree with you, Tucker. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Yeah, there and there was another story just real quick that a fellow builder I, he'll remain nameless, but uh, I think Channel 8 picked it up, and it, they actually played a voicemail that he got on his own cell phone from a neighbor in a neighborhood where he's got a project that basically said that she was going to have him killed or offed. And it's like, you know, again, only in Portland, but it's like, I mean, come on, people. You know, if you really have that much of an issue with what's going on with the property, go buy it. You know, go buy every property in your neighborhood. You don't own it. And I understand people take ownership in their neighborhood, but to take it to that extent is just insanity. I don't, there's no way to to say that that's okay. And (laughs) the values you, you have are just so out of whack. I mean, to have more emotion and attachment to a tree or a house, which is a dead tree, (laughs) than to a human life and make a death threat is just absurd. I mean, how do you justify that? It it makes absolutely no sense. It really doesn't. And, you know, it's just kind of an epidemic that we in the building community have to deal with these days. I mean, I've had a couple death threats over the course of the last year or so that one was in written form that I actually kept here at the office and I framed it just to remind myself of all the nincompoops out there. But I don't think anybody was ever going to come forward on those, but it happens. And it's just crazy that in any other circumstance that would be considered lunacy. But here in Portland, when you're doing it to a developer, I guess it's okay. So I have to... I have to close with the last sentence of this article. I'm not making this up, people. This is on Coin6 News, right? I just Googled Demolition Hawthorne and 34th as we were talking. This is the last sentence of the article. And in true Portland fashion, a goat was seen at the protest. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a wrap, folks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave that topic with that. But only in Portland, I tell you. Only Only in Portlandia. So, all right, guys. Well, this has been a colorful episode. Uh, lucky number 13 here of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our commentary today. Steve, I will uh, catch you next week. Sounds great, Tucker. Have a great rest of the week. You too.
All right, guys, that's a wrap. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.